Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We are in our last sermon on Galatians. We began this uh, sermon series back in August. Uh, Some of you have uh, been here for the whole series, Uh, some of you for half of it, some of you for just a few sermons, some of you, this is your first Sunday here. The very first sermon you will hear in Galatians is the very last one. Um, But this will be a great sermon for all of us because Paul summarizes the entire letter in these last eight verses. In fact, some commentators think that that these last eight verses are like the interpretive key to the whole letter. So maybe we should have read these verses at first to make sense of of the letter. But anyway, um, Paul here is, is summarizing the whole thing and he writes in verse 11, he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Um, in the, Paul's uh, practice was when he wrote these letters, these New Testament letters, was he would uh, dictate them. So he had what was called an amanuensis or a scribe. He had a secretary. And so uh, he would uh, dictate the letter to the secretary. He'd be speaking it out loud. And the, the secretary, if they were a good one, if they were a good scribe, they had good handwriting and they'd, they'd write these uh, letters out. But then when Paul got to the end, he would, always, um, he would always sign his name at the end. Kind of like when we type a letter out, and then sometimes we'll sign that letter. Uh, Paul would, uh, in a sense, take the, the pen from the scribe, take the stylus, and then sign his name. And in Galatians, he, he does more than just sign his name signing off. He, he gives a long uh, paragraph, right, a long eight verses summarizing the letter, um, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It was kind of his ancient way of um, when we want to get somebody's attention, attention, we type in all caps, right? So uh, like this meme, right? Caps, caps locks, caps lock. Well, we're trying to get someone's attention, right? Bold, underlined. Uh, Paul is getting his audience's attention because he wants them, uh, he wants to underscore He wants to emphasize one more time his central message. So are you ready? Are you listening? Are you um, paying attention? Here we go. One last time in Galatians. Stand if you're willing and able out of deference for God's word. I'll read for us from Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. Hear God's word for you today. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Church, this is the very word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts this morning to receive your word. Um, Drill it deep down into our hearts. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. A high school student is invited to a party. He knows he shouldn't go because of the illegal things that will take place there. But in his head, he hears the voices of his classmates. YOLO. You only live once. So he goes, and he drinks, and he attempts to drive home, and he wraps his car around a tree. By a miracle, he survives, but his classmates in the back seat don't. YOLO. A woman picks up the hobby of photography and discovers that she's actually quite good at it. She begins a business. She has success. She starts making money. She thinks, the more I have, the happier I will be. So she works nights and weekends. She neglects her family. She loses true friends, but she keeps going because she says to herself, the more I have, the happier I will be. A husband is discontent in his marriage. He thinks, I deserve better. He looks for life in the attention of his female coworkers. He convinces himself that the the kids will be fine if we get a divorce, even though he's still not fine from his parents' divorce. And as he signs the papers, he says to himself, I have to do what makes me happy. I have to do what's best for me. Three different people, three different rules of life, three different principles. Um, Everyone has a rule of life. All of us have a principle that guides our thoughts and our actions. The question is, what is your rule of life? And how's it working out for you? Paul writes in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. The Greek word translated rule here is the the word kanon. It it, uh, was used for the um, uh, measuring rod or a ruler that was used by a carpenter. Later Christians would take that word uh, and uh, the word canon to describe the accepted list of biblical books. This is our canon. And so 
Paul says there is a standard, right? There is an authority. There is a rule which if you hold to it, if you follow it, if you live by it, then the result will be peace and mercy. So what was this rule for Paul? Right? At the very end of the letter, he, does he introduce something new? If you walk by this rule, you'll get peace and mercy. Well, for Paul, his rule, his canon was the gospel. Galatians, as we have seen, is all about the gospel. Um, believing the gospel, fighting for the gospel, conforming our lives to the gospel. Only in the gospel do we find the peace and the mercy that we long for. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul is saying one last time, don't miss the gospel. So how do you know if the gospel is your rule of life? How do you know if the gospel is your operating system? If you, on your computer or on your smartphone, go to the the settings and you click on about this device, it will tell you this is running Mac OS or this is running Windows OS. If I clicked on the about button of your life, how would I know that it's running the gospel OS? Well, in these summary verses, in these last verses, um, Paul, one final time, lays out a clear contrast between himself and these false teachers. And in doing so, he gives us three diagnostic questions, three, three questions to help us answer the, how do we know if the gospel is our rule of life, is our operating system? One, what is my boast? Two, what is my focus? And three, what do I expect? So how do you know if the gospel is the rule by which you are walking, your operating system of life? First diagnostic question, what is my boast? What is my boast? Um, okay, kids that stayed in here that didn't, that hit, didn't head off. Do you think it is okay to boast? Is it okay to boast? Adults, what do you think? Is it okay to boast? <laughs> the, the answer is yes. Yes, if you are boasting in the right thing. It's okay to boast if you are boasting in the right thing. Paul says, far be it from me to boast except. Except implies that there is a good kind of boasting. Maybe it'd be helpful if we defined what the Bible means by boasting. Uh, We might think of boasting simply as um, bragging, but that's not really it. Um, uh, John Stott says this. He says, there is no exact equivalent in the English language um, to kauhaomai, the Greek word for boasting, but it means to boast in, glory in, trust in, Rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our boast fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our boast is our obsession. Read those last two sentences again. The object of our boast fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our boast 
is our obsession. So what is your boast? What fills your horizon? What engrosses your attention? What absorbs your time and your energy? What is your obsession? False teachers had come into the churches in Galatia and they were trying to convince the Gentiles that they needed to be circumcised in order to be true Christians. That salvation, they said, was Jesus plus circumcision. And Paul writes in verse 13 that they're doing this. They desire to have you circumcised. The reason why they're pressing this on you um, is so that they may boast in your flesh. What's, what's going on there? Why would they want to boast in the circumcision of these Gentiles? Um, the truth is, they didn't really care about the Galatians. They didn't really care about the law. What they really cared about was getting a notch on their belt. They wanted to be able to report back to their superiors in Jerusalem and say, we got X number of circumcisions today, right? Um, they wanted to pad their religious statistics. They didn't care about the people. They only cared about themselves. They were obsessed with their uh, own success and reputation. Sometimes I'll be in a room full of pastors and someone will ask, so how many members are in your church? How many baptisms have you had recently? What is your budget? It's, uh, it's boasting. Uh, Adam Jones has told the illustration before about how when he was a youth director here, um, they went to the same camp every year. And, uh, and every year there was this other church, this larger church, bigger youth group, um, always beat our, our, our kids in the sports and things. Um, and, uh, but by some strange reason, this one year, uh, we took an abnormally large number of kids to camp. And, uh, and so Adam's walking through the camp, uh, one day and the other, the youth leader from the other church is coming by him and Adam says, Hey, how's it going? And he looks at him and says, listen, Jones, you brought more kids to camp than us this year. I want you to know it's never going to happen again. <laughs> and he walked off and Adam's like, oh, okay. Um, it's sick, right? When we boast in those ways, but it's not just people in vocational ministry, is it? All of us have a boast. All of us have something that absorbs our time and energy and becomes our obsession. I heard someone say this week that uh, they had a mentor said to them, uh, I have two persistent sins. One, I'm a workaholic. Two, I love telling you that I'm a workaholic. <laughs> um, boasting. Right? What we boast in is often tied up with our identity. So what is your boast? Is it your job? Is it your kids? Is it your health? Is it your smarts? Is it your looks? Is it your wealth? Hey, did you hear we're getting a Chick-fil-A in Citrus County? <laughs> yeah. 
Now we get to look down our noses at all those hick, small town places that don't have Chick-fil-A's. See, all of it boils down to one ultimate thing that we boast in. We, we boast in ourselves. Our, our selfishness is my besetting sin. I think it is yours too. Boasting is at the root um, of our self-confidence, our self-glorification, our self-salvation strategies. That's what was going on in Galatia. When salvation becomes Jesus plus something I do, then it's not long before Jesus just gets cut out and salvation becomes something I do. Um, I like this quote from Joseph Cook. He says, we live in what we might call a one-self universe. Other selves, of course, exist, but only one self is intrinsically important, me. The others are important, not in themselves, but for my sake. Their importance consists only in their potential as conveniences for my comfort, tools for carrying out my purposes, food to sate my hunger, or otherwise as rivals to defeat or as enemies to placate, avoid, or if possible, stab in the back. In the end, our self-centeredness will lead to to the destruction of anything and everyone that stands in the way, even the killing of God's very son. This is what our sin means. But look again at what Paul says. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It really is hard for us to appreciate the, the horror and shock of Paul's words here. Uh, we wear crosses on necklaces. We um, wear them on our t-shirts. We get them tattooed on our bodies. We hang them on the walls of our houses. But in the first century, the, the Latin word for cross, crux, um, was regarded as an expression so crude that no respectable Roman would utter it in public. They had to come up with euphemisms just to talk about it. Um, what the world regarded as too shameful to whisper in polite company, a detestable object used for the brutal execution of the dregs of society, Paul declared to be the proper basis of his exaltation. The cross of Christ was Paul's only boast. The cross of Christ was what Paul gloried in, trusted in, rejoiced in, reveled in, lived for. The cross of Christ filled his horizon, engrossed his attention, absorbed his time and energy, and became his obsession. You can't boast in yourself and boast in the cross at the same time. It's either one or the other. So what is your boast? Boasting in the cross means trusting and rejoicing in the one who died on the cross. It means seeing Jesus and his work alone as the way of acceptance with God. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you do. It doesn't matter how many people you help, how much money you give away, or anything else that you do. Salvation is always Jesus plus nothing. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made Jesus' death on the cross necessary. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling.
What is your boast? Boasting in the cross means that you have died, Paul says, to the ways and values and systems of the world. One translation says, God forbid that I should boast about anything or anybody except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means that the world is a dead thing to me, and I am a dead man to the world. All the rules, all the principles that the world says lead to life, they don't attract me. They don't allure me. I see them for what they really are, empty, worthless fantasies. So this week, um, Blair Commons and I, he's our operations uh, director, uh, we got to go to a uh, convention. We, a company that we've used here for one of our projects uh, offered us free tickets. They said, do you want to go? It's in Orlando at the Orange County Convention Center, which if you've been there, it's just massive, you know, football fields worth of space. And uh, they said, do you want to come to this trade show? It's, the, it's called IAPA, the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, and so Blair and I go to this trade show for amusement parks and attractions. And uh, they have all their, you know, Imagineering studios there, and they have uh, all the design stuff. They have roller coasters in the, in the convention center that you can ride, these carnival rides. They have anything and everything that you would, you would think for this kind of world. They have laser tag and putt-putt and video games, VR. Um, I mean, just, just all kinds of, of stuff for that. And, uh, and so we got to go and... Um, we would go up to these to these uh, booths, and uh, they they would our, look at our name tags, and they'd go, "So, what venue are you guys with? What do you do?" We'd, and we said, "We're with a church." <laughs> and they looked at us like we had three heads, like, "What are you doing here? Like, you don't belong here. There's nothing here for you." As you walk through the world with all of its lights and attractions and shiny things. People will look at you, and if you're a Christian, they will say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. This stuff isn't for you. You have died to the world. The world has died to you because of the cross. You're a new creation. That's what it means to boast in the cross. So what is your boast? If the gospel is your rule of life, then your only boast will be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a, um, a uh, Soviet Union uh, sculptor, I'm not going to say his name right, it was Nezvetsny, uh, and uh, so he was the best sculptor the Soviet Union ever had. There's only one problem, he was also a Christian. And so they wanted to use him for all of their stuff, uh, but they, you know, they just, they couldn't do it. And, but, but there were things that he did. He, in fact, he um, did the uh, gravestone and the mausoleum for Nikita Khrushchev. And, uh, and so they, they didn't want to, but they had to use him. And so they had this huge communist building, like their main communist building that they wanted on the, the front of it to put a sculpture glorifying the communist regime. And so they asked him to do it, but they said, in order to do it, you have to submit uh, your design to us in little squares. 
little sections for the whole thing. And we're going to approve every little section that you do. He said, okay. So he goes through the process. They approve every little section along the way. They get to the grand reveal. They, they're and gasp because there on the front of the communist building is a massive cross. <laughs> he couldn't help it. It was his boast. It was his obsession. It was what filled his horizon. What is your boast? Second diagnostic question, what is my focus? Is the gospel my rule of life? Is it the operating system of my life? What is my focus? You remember in the Old Testament, um, Samuel, uh, God said, I'm done with King Saul. I want a new king. And so God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. And, uh, uh, and Samuel goes, and Jesse's got all these sons. And, uh, and Samuel goes to the oldest, the tallest, the best-looking one, and says, this must be the king. And God says, nope. And then he goes to the next son and says, well, this one, was, he's pretty strapping. He's pretty good looking, pretty strong. God says, no, that's not it. And he goes all the way down the line through Jesse's sons. And God says, no, no, no. And, and Samuel's like, do you have anybody else? Do you have another son somewhere? Jesse says, there is one. He's out taking care of the sheep. His name is David. And uh, David comes. God says, he's my man. Samuel anoints him, makes him king. And God says to Samuel, man looks on the outside, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outside, but the Lord looks on what's on the inside. These false teachers in Galatia, they focus their religion on the outside. They focused on conformity to external identity markers. And Paul points out something really ironic, that by focusing on the outside, by focusing on circumcision, they didn't actually keep the law. They neglected it. Jesus one time said something similar to the religious leaders of his day. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what is your focus? Is it on the outside or on the inside? Paul writes in Galatians 6.15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The gospel leads us to focus primarily not on the external, but on the internal. Paul is essentially saying, what does it matter whether you're circumcised or not? It only matters if you're a new creation, if you've been regenerated, if, if you've been born again. That's the real question. What is a Christian? Over the centuries, people have come up with all kinds of external identifiers for being a Christian that have nothing to do with the heart. A Christian would never dress in or listen to or vote for or associate with or own a fill in the blank. What is a Christian? A Christian is not someone who has conformed their life to some external marker. A Christian is someone who has been regenerated by the Spirit of God and is now a new creation. 
as new creations, growth happens in our lives, sanctification comes not when we focus outside in, but inside out. Okay? Growth happens. If you're a new creation, growth happens, sanctification occurs, not outside in, but inside out. How Dane Ortland puts it in his book, Deeper, is really helpful. He says this. He says, one of the great mistakes made generation after generation through church history is to slather rules onto our behavior and think that external behavior is what fosters or even accurately reflects vital spiritual growth. External conformity to rules without an internal reality fueling it is akin to watering every part of a tree except its roots and expecting it to grow. He says, you can't crowbar your way into change. You can only be melted. The gospel is what changes us, and only it can, because the gospel itself is telling us what is true of us before we ever begin to change, and no matter how slowly our change comes. So what is your focus? Parents, I'm speaking to myself here. With your children, what is your focus? Um, would you, is it more important to you that they are perfectly behaved, well-dressed, and get straight A's? Or is it more important to you that they are new creations who love and know Jesus from the heart? Husbands and wives, is it more important to you that your spouse look a certain way and make a certain income, or that they are new creations who know and love Jesus from the heart? Church, is our focus gathering together people who look the same, vote the same, live in the same lifestyle, or is our focus welcoming any and all so that they might know Jesus and love him from their heart? For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, Jew nor Gentile, religious nor irreligious, counts for anything. What counts is a new creation. So what is my boast? What is my focus? And then third and finally, how do you know if the gospel is your rule of life, your operating system? What is my expectation? What is my expectation? Okay, this, this point is brief. As a new creation, as one who has been crucified to the world and the world to you, what do you expect? What is your expectation? Do you expect a life of ease or do you expect a life of persecution? The false teachers expected that life should be easy. And because of that, they compromised the gospel. Paul says in verse 12, they did so because they did not want to be persecuted for the cross. But Paul said, as a true apostle, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He was referring to the bruises, the scars, the trauma from being persecuted for following Christ and proclaiming his gospel. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What do you expect? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory 
is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, meddler, but yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You see, the original recipients of the New Testament needed to hear these things because they were being persecuted every day. We need to hear these things because we're not being persecuted. But we might be one day. What you expect reveals whether you are following Jesus out of convenience or out of conviction. In his uh, memoir um, uh, called Everything Sad is Untrue, Daniel Nieri tells the story of his um, mother's conversion from being a devout Muslim to a follower of Jesus. They lived in Iran, and she was a doctor there, and um, she became a Christian. And this is what he writes about her. He says, uh, one time she hung a little cross necklace from the rearview mirror of her car, which was probably a reckless thing to do. My mom was like that. One day after work, she went to her car, and there was a note stuck on the windshield. It said, Madam Doctor, if we see this cross again, we will kill you. She could have lived quietly and saved everyone the heartaches that would come if she had kept her head down, if she stopped telling people, if she pretended just a few holidays a year that nothing had changed. She could still have everything. My mom took the cross down that day. Then she got a cross so big it blocked half the windshield and she put it up. Why would anyone live with their head down? Besides, the only way to stop believing something is to deny it yourself to hide it, to act as if it hasn't changed your life. Another way to say it is that everybody is dying and going to die of something. And if you're not spending your life on the stuff you believe, then what are you even doing? What is the point of the whole thing? It's a tough question because most people haven't picked anything worthwhile. If you believe it's true that there is a God and he wants you to believe in him and he sent his son to die for you, then it has to take over your life. It has to be worth more than everything else because heaven's waiting on the other side. That or my mother is insane. There's no middle. You can't say it's a quirky thing she thinks because she went all the way with it. If it's not true, she made a giant mistake, but she doesn't think so. She had all that wealth, the love of all those people she helped in her clinic. They treated her like a queen, and she's poor now. People spit on her on buses. She's a refugee in places where people hate refugees. And she'll tell you, it's worth it. Jesus is better. It's true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The whole story hinges on it. So is the gospel your rule of life? Is the gospel your operating system What is your boast? What is your focus? What is your expectation? Okay, that's it. Not just the end of this sermon, but the the end of the whole series in Galatians. Some of you have been here for every single one. Some have you been here for a few of them. For somebody here, this is your very first one. For all of us, we need to hear the final word from Paul. 
Paul ends Galatians the same way he began it. In Galatians 1, he says, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the very last verse, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Grace to start the letter. Grace to end the letter. Galatians, if you have to boil it down to one word, is about grace. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Unmerited favor for sinners. You know, we went to this IAPA thing, and um, the thing that I loved the most about it was uh, they give you a bag, you get to go around and get all the free swag, right? All the free stuff they give away. So we go... And, uh, you know, they're giving away candy over here. And over here, they're giving away food, popcorn, and ice cream. And uh, you go over here, and they're, they're giving away uh, shirts. And uh, I got a USB pen, a USB, you know, uh, stick. Uh, pens, stuffed animals, spin the wheel, play the claw machine. We got all this free stuff. If it's free, it's for me. Well... What if there was one booth, like way off in the corner, no flashing lights, no, no fancy signs, no huge displays, just a simple table with a cross on it. And on that table with that cross was a sign, and it said, grace, free. Wouldn't that be the best thing there. Holy Spirit, would you um, please, uh, if there's someone here this morning who's never said, yes, I want your grace, I will take it because it's free, would you work in their hearts to do so? Would you humble them at the foot of the cross to see that their sin, their sin was forgiven cleansed, atoned for by Christ. And for those of us who have maybe done that before, maybe we feel like we've done it a hundred times, would you just one more time cause us to be in wonder and awe that you would love us so much that you would come and die on the cross for us. May it become our boast. Would you do that in us, we pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.